how's it going, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. We have a great episode today. This is a podcast where we share and discuss the very best, usually in video game music, sometimes in non-video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. What my brother is alluding to is the fact that uh, today's episode is going to be fun because this is another chance for us to play music not from video games. What? Uh, And as the name of this episode suggests, this is all music that very much sounds like it belongs in a classic game soundtrack. And at the very least, fans of VGM will really enjoy. Exactly. So some of this stuff is music that predates a lot of the kind of golden era Mm -hmm. game music sound or is music composed from that period, which is why it might sound similar. Um, And a lot of it has to do with uh, stylistic qualities that we'll touch on throughout all the music that we're going to play. But these kinds of episodes are super fun. What's really cool is it's just a playlist of jams. At the end of the day, I'm just excited to share music that I would say 98% of this playlist almost every single person listening you've probably never heard before so get ready for some new jams at least new to you it's going to be such a fun time we've done a non-vgm episode before and it was a very popular successful episode we're excited to do another one today um now it's interesting the earliest track we're playing is from 1968 today pretty insane and the latest is actually from 2021 now there's quite a bit of gaps in there for example there's no 90s track uh, on this playlist but it will be fun to to see what the what the different years are today and again we're not this isn't you know a competitive list we're not saying these are the pieces of popular or non-video it's just kind of a random list of jams that we both found yeah but i also think part of this is uh in addition to just it being kind of a fun coincidence to find music in the real world that sounds like game music. And again, game music as a genre being different from video game music in terms of function, just music for games, because obviously music for games could take any shape, form, style that would be appropriate for the game. But when we're talking about, you know, the VGM sound, a lot of it is some of those stylistic choices that were that were really established in the 80s and 90s as far as the 8 and 16-bit well, And there's era. plenty of tracks on our playlist that are very strong examples of that. But there's also tracks on the playlist where just from a broad emotional point of view like oh this is just a jam that i think vgm heads will enjoy and it might not be super specific uh so i think there's a good there's good examples of both of those today what you heard playing in there was a really funky 80s tune called nobody knows it's uh came out in 1982 by bill wolfer from his album wolf yeah some of my hope for today's episode is that we can expose people to uh musical styles artists and composers that they wouldn't normally be familiar with and they might not realize you know what you think of as video game music is actually this specific niche subgenre of music that 
existed before whatever game popularized it and hopefully we can actually introduce people into the you know more music that they will absolutely love well that's one of the goals i mean some of this stuff is incredibly obscure the deepest of the deep cuts you could ever imagine we also do have some well-known artists as well so it'll be cool so let's move from bill wolfer to jimmy mcgriff will you ever heard of jimmy mcgriff before it sounds like he and bill wolfer should play in a band together (laughs) they both sound unbelievable names they sound Jimmy like comedy names is a really great b3 player uh that was very active in the 60s 70s and 80s um and this is a really cheesy album that he put out in 1977 now in our first v- non-vgm episode there was a year that kind of took the cake it just so happened that a lot of tracks were from a specific year. I think it was like 81 or something. This episode 77 is kind of the year to beat because for some reason, a lot of the tracks are from that. In 1977, Jimmy McGriff put out an album called Tail Gunner. And uh, this is such a happy and delightful track. Will, you're going to adore this. And hopefully all of you listening will enjoy it as well. It's Skyhawk by Jimmy McGriff. You guys are listening to Skyhawk. It's by Jimmy McGriff from his album Tail Gunner, which came out in 1977. And it's such a fun time in music history. 77, I mean, this is disco is in full swing. And for a lot of jazz artists and funk artists, you know, they would have these albums that would have disco elements. And that is the case with, with Tail Gunner. It is such a cheesy album. But this is such a, uh, a, really, this is a very video gamey tune. It reminds me of a lot of EGM. It's really cheesy and happy, and I was really excited uh, to share it with you guys. I think a lot of that has to do with uh, some of these chord progressions that do come out of a jazz, pop, or even a disco tradition. Um, A lot of those chords are also chords that a lot of Japanese jazz fusion bands popularize. I I tend to find that uh, Western jazz fusion bands tend to have a 
a very different kind of harmonic language, maybe one that's slightly more edgy or experimental. Not to say that there wasn't great experimental jazz fusion music happening all over the world, but what I love about so much, you know, J-fusion music is that it has that catchy element. Um, and something like this also has that sort of catchy, accessible element. It's jazzy, it's, oh, it's I mean, rich, the, the but it's so melody simple is and really accessible. catchy, really hummable, and it just feels so good. And I'm sure there are people that, when they listen to this, <laughs> if they weren't a fan of disco, they were just rolling their eyes if they wanted more of a straight-ahead jazz album. But yeah, I love this album. Check out Tail Gunner. It's really good. And it just got those classic 70s sounds, super dry drums. Yeah, I mean, really I feel the, good. I love the um, the contrasts in the mix because I feel like the B3 is in its own island and all yeah, the horns and everything. It's kind of in the sky. so dry <laughs> and raw and you hear the room that they're in. It's all very close mic'd. Yeah. But the B3 has this kind of wet gritty granular sound um and i love those dynamic 70s mixes where they can just confidently blend such different elements without needing to put them one of the the most fun things about these albums is to hear the production differences uh because it's almost all real performed music so we're going from 77 to 1989 and oh boy will there be some different production sound here uh, this is a track that i had to include just for the title (laughs) literally the title of this is earthbound And it is by uh, a jazz fusion band called the Rippingtons. Some of you might be familiar with them if you like jazz fusion, especially 80s fusion. This is an album called Tourist in Paradise. Let's take a listen to the very cheesy but good Earthbound. So gamey, you guys listening to Earthbound (laughs) by the band The Rippingtons from their album Tourist in Paradise, which came out in 1989, dripping and soaking in cheese here. But compositionally, it is very video gamey. I hope you guys enjoyed this. So for me, I'm looking forward to really not not talking a whole bunch today. I kind of want, you know, some of this music to speak for itself. Some of this music is is much longer. It's not none of this is loop based. So I do look forward to maybe being able to share a little bit longer snippets today. Um, so yeah, I, really at the end of the day, I'm just excited to share this this great music. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, 
so contrast from the production in the last track, and we were praising sort of the tastefulness. Kind of the opposite. And then the 80s just kind of uh, went in a very different in direction. Face. In the synths, uh, I mean, the synth instruments are really cheesy, and just like some of yeah. them are just kind of dumb. Unfortunately, none of this production, in my opinion, holds up at all. Like, every so aspect of this sounds not good. And so this is an example where a chiptune, like FM, Genesis, or Arcade equivalent of a piece of music like this actually holds up way better. Um, yeah, it, this true. is This falls into that uncanny valley that we've talked about several times on the podcast. Deep within where it's that like, valley. <laughs> it, yeah, it's just, it's it's quite cheesy, and so much about it sounds false mm-hmm. and fake and inauthentic, and you can't quite put your finger on it, and it's because literally everything is way overproduced and has this very artificial reverb on it. All the synths are... Um, I guess not tastefully chosen, I would yeah. say. Um, but the music, again, yeah, melodies are exceptional. The groove, the musical ideas are so strong. And they're what feels so gamey just because I think the music has that same lack of awareness that the production has. And where it's, in my opinion, a hindrance to the production, I think it's a real asset to the music. I know other people would disagree with that because some people don't like, you know, music that's this kind of catchy and in your face and direct. But obviously, that's something that you and I. I really appreciate quite a quite it's, a bit. It's very true. Now, um, some music that I found for this episode, similar to our first installment, was from library music or, or from composers that would make an album and it would be used in various productions or TV shows or movies. And right. I think that's the case with at least one of these two composers. So this is an album from two composers, Brian Bennett and Alan Hawkshaw. Uh, it's called Synthesis, and it came out in 1974, so it's very funky, um, and they're exploring some early synth sounds here and really having a lot of fun with that. Uh, so this is a vibey and fun and silly and funky album, and I'm going to play a track called Alto Glide, again by Brian Bennett and Alan Hawkshaw. Enjoy.
Man, hearing the record scratch really puts me in the vibe of this. You're listening to Elto Glide. It's by Brian Bennett and Alan Hawkshaw from the album Synthesis, which came out in 74. Uh, And I'm pretty sure that this music was used as kind of production music, library music, if I'm not mistaken. I know that's the case with other artists we're going to get to. Um, Yeah, it's just really funky and vibey, really good background music. The synth is really silly. I wonder wonder why they called this Alto Glide. I almost feel like that's a reference to the synth. It has that sort of slow glide portamento. It does have a glide. It's not really Alto, but... (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. This is a fantastic track. I mean, who doesn't love a good bit of funk? It's so charming. Um, Yeah, and, and that kind of eclectic mix of real instruments and then this kind of out of nowhere synth right at the center yep. of everything that's the kind of eclecticism we've come to expect in games mm-hmm. and i also think this is a genre that has been um sent up quite a few times in games it's right. not one that i immediately associate with video games um but there are so many game soundtracks that do go for sort of a jazz funk style but i think all of those are you know when those happen it's a definite pastiche where like the previous track we played sounds like it could have been you know ps1 music in earnest yeah i think the previous track was more specifically composition uh, from a compositional point of view you know non-vgm for vgm heads where this one was much more broad um the synth was kind of what made me include this on this episode other than that it's it's just a great 70s funk tune i do think vgm heads would and like it's, it it's but, very melodic yeah. too which is great. I mean, and the fact that it has this, such a specific synth at the center of it makes the melody um, stand out even more than very if spacey. It were, you know, piano or check that album or out, everyone. It's, it's a great album, and again, could not be more obscure. Like so, so, so deep when it comes to the cuts. <laughs> All right, let's move on to a track that Will found uh, and brought in, and it's cool. We're going from 1974 to 2021, so this is by far the most recent. Uh, composed track on the playlist. Will, it looks like this is from something that I have no idea called Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha. What on earth is that? This is a Korean TV show. Mm. And uh, this composer, Lim Ha-Young, I don't know very much about her, but every piece of music that I listen to of hers just sounds like it belongs in a game. It's all this super high energy, very fun, very vibrant, uh, you know, well-produced, exciting music. Kind of like Tomoya Tamita-esque. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Tomoya Tamita-esque, I, I get a sense of like, kind of like a Wii sports game yeah. style. Or even broader than that, like... um. What are those uh, baseball that like Japanese baseball powerful pro Yaku? Yeah. Like it's like, kind of that absolutely that well, style. So and also, it's just such a treat, a Will, bit. because uh, we're getting you know a different production sound. It's fun now. Let's take a listen to a 2021 track. Uh, it's called "Start" by Lim Ha Young from Hometown Cha Cha Cha.
You guys are listening to Start by Lim Ha Young from a TV show, soundtrack, Hometown Cha Cha Cha. This music was released in 2021, and it is absolutely delightful. When the horns come in, it's just the happiest celebration. We have a lot of great horns <laughs> on this playlist today, which is really fun. Uh, yeah, this is so happy. It, it definitely reminded me, when you showed it to me, of Tomoyo Tamina. It reminds me of a lot of things uh, from the world of VGM, but it really puts a smile on your face. Yeah, I think the the chord progression in particular and some of the just melodic flair, rhythmic energy, it's so gamey. I mean, yeah. it's um, pretty nuts. A lot of the music from this show that she's written is, you know, there are songs and stuff. And I figured mm-hmm. that rather than play one of those, even though I think some of those songs maybe are more popular amongst people who you know, watch the show. I I thought that hearing kind of an instrumental piece like this uh, just makes it feel all the more gamey. It's pretty Um, crazy how gamey this feels. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's so delightful. Yeah, arguably two of the most gamey tracks are back to back on on the playlist here. Uh, This is interesting. This is a track and it's, it's an instrumental track called Jennifer by the artist Goblin. Don't know anything about that artist. From the album Phenomena. From 1985, uh, and it's crazy how gamey this is, particularly JRPG-esque. Like it could be, it sounds like a Super NES or a PS1 era kind of sad, sensitive JRPG theme. Takes a little bit to get into it, but uh, you guys are going to get a kick out of Jennifer. Pretty insane. You are not listening to video game music. It blows my mind. This is Jennifer by Goblin from the soundtrack, apparently, to Phenomena. Phenomena is a 1985 Italian horror film, which, oddly enough, stars Jennifer Connelly. Uh, Yeah, 1985 music here, and you could put this in a PS1 RPG and it would fit at home. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's it is beautiful. It's funny how much it, it fits, but I think it also just this is a track that sounds the way it does. I think and has more to do with the era, yeah, uh, than anything else. And I think that's something that also we need to remember that so much game music sounds the way it does because 
uh, of the time in which it was written. And then I think games that popularize some of those sounds, well, now it's sort of a tradition. Now yeah. it's kind of like in longstanding series like Final Fantasy, for instance, or Zelda, it's like we're going to keep calling back to those themes, to those right. melodies. Not to say that all that music is super influenced by the 80s, because I don't necessarily think those two examples are. But I do think that uh, that's one of the reasons why music in this style, harmonically, in terms of the arrangement, and just the, the general mood of it, that it's this sort of melancholic piece with a very simple and central melody well, that's the clearly thing saying that something. was particularly mind-blowing to me is that this is not a Japanese artist, uh, but this track has a Japanese VGM quality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that is the kind of music that early VGM composers were listening to and maybe hearing at the movie theaters probably influenced them a bit. Yeah, I think the melody in particular is what sounds really Japanese. I mean, some of those 80s minor key arpeggios, they they also make me think of, you know, anime and film music and stuff, but it also does make me think of like US 80s synth film scores or right. synth television scores but once that melody comes in it's just kind of it's like, insane man and the, it's the so synth JRPG. Flute, it's it's crazy okay let's go to uh another obscure person this is a great composer an orchestral composer that did some movie work i think they were kind of b maybe even c movies it's a japanese composer yasushi akutagawa and this is uh, a sweet from i think uh not a very good japanese horror film from 1977 again it's coming back to 77 called the village of the eight gravestones so this is a village of the eight gravestones suite by akutagawa let's take a listen beautiful music that probably most of you have not heard before. This is a little bit of The Village of the Eight Gravestones Suite, composed by Yasushi Akutagawa, who's a Japanese composer. This originally came out in 1977. This composer has done all kinds of orchestral works, apparently some operas, some ballets, some film scores, many, many more types of work. So, Will, what are your thoughts on this? I'm sure you haven't heard this before. What do you think? That's beautiful. It's very well orchestrated, and it 
Yeah, I, I think for music like this, it kind of needs less explanation. Yeah, absolutely. To me, it's like this is Japanese... It's uh, Japanese orchestral music. Orchestral <laughs> writing, which is sort of an which idiom all everyone knows it's, we love. <laughs> it's like equal parts neoclassical and equal parts sort of American songbook jazz harmony. So it's kind of like it's very classical and romantic yet you know there'll be minor seventh chords that resolve well, I also in a jazz like this, way or... this example because there's a little bit of like an eastern folk quality to it as well yeah i think and some of that is who knows how much of that is intentional and how much of that is just a result of growing up in that musical culture and growing mm -hmm. up in that environment and that's something that's so cool about listening to music from around the world regardless of style well and this uh, is the thing that makes me smile just thinking about some fan some young maybe fan of orchestral video game scores that maybe has never dove into old Japanese film music of the 70s and 80s, hopefully this is going to lead them to, to some really cool discoveries and, and deep dives. That's kind of my my hope. So yeah, that is, that is really cool. Let's move on. So we actually have a couple examples of, I would say, fairly well-known prog bands, prog rock bands. Uh, this is a band that some people will not think of them as prog. They will just think of them as kind of more mainstream 70s rock. But they did get their start in Prague. And so I wanted to play an early example. When someone thinks of Kansas, I'm sure <laughs> this is not what they're thinking. But, oh, man, did Kansas make some gnarly music. We're going to 1977 again from a track from their album Point of No Return. This is Paradox. Are you guys ready to rock? listening to Paradox by Kansas from their album Point of No Return, which came out in 77, and they would eventually go on to make a little bit more mainstream rock, still with progressive elements, um, but not nearly as many as this. It is insane that eventually vocals do come in. Uh, it's, it's pretty crazy how many different sections there are to this. Uh, it's, it's so noty and busy, but 
yeah, fans of prog music, I, I hope you guys are smiling right now. Well, and I think one of the reasons why this particular track was chosen as opposed to other prog rock um, is because I think harmonically and just all of the ideas, the production, everything, this sounds very gamey to me. Yeah, where it I so think there's does. a lot of there's a lot of game music that is very much um, paying homage to progressive rock bands, but I don't necessarily know that playing those kinds of sounding tracks necessarily sounds gamey because again it's like you could play ragtime music and say well this kind of sounds like mario and it's like it sort of is because a lot of that there's just something so imaginative about this track that i think reminds us of vgm will you know who should cover this at least the instrumental section is do a barrel roll (laughs) that kind of reminded me of their their sound yeah, uh, the the mix of the that's the quirkiness too of the like electric violin sound and everything. But yeah. the other thing too, some of these chord progressions, um, particularly at cadence points, have a very have more of kind of like an '80s pop sound, or they do that flat six, flat seven, one type of yeah. resolution, which I don't think of as being part of like the '70s prog rock scene very much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, part of this, there's this violin line playing right now that I'm listening to that makes me think of uh, uh, Metroid in Craig's stage. But yeah, the one thing that happens with some prog music for me is sometimes I get a little bit exhausted and there's just so much going on that it is it is possible that it can be a little bit obnoxious at times. And I think this track has moments of that for me, uh, but it also has moments where I'm just smiling and just really enjoying the creativity. Let's move on to an artist that is returning from our first installment. I couldn't resist doing another track from Dave Valentine, who is a great jazz flautist, and we're going to go to his album from 1980, Land of the Third Eye, and we're going to play the title track, and this one really makes me smile. It's one of my favorites that I found Again, by Dave Valentine, here is Land of the Third Eye. Wow, 
so good. Love the melody, love the creative instrumentation, great playing. This is Land of the Third Eye by Dave Valentine from Album of the Same Name, which came out in 1980, and so really this feels more 70s uh, because the production is still um, very similar to what was done in the decade preceding. So, uh, yeah, I just... This <laughs> this band is so cool. I mean, let's talk about what you have. You obviously have the lead melody on flute. You have fretless bass, drums, steel drums, guitar, both electric and acoustic, piano. It's a really wonderful sound. Very creative composition. Good solos that will come later. Just just a delightful track. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is one that speaks for itself. Um, just musically, right? it's it's so delightful, and it's in a sort of style that, for whatever reason, seems to get um, tapped into quite a lot in games. And I think yep. that's because there are so many connotations that we have with this sort of easy listening music and kind of a Latin style with almost like the corporate side of you know a vacation destination or something it's like this is the kind of safe music that you're played when you're meant to feel like you're in the bahamas but really you're in an office building and that's like a specific description but games play off of that sort of trope a lot that that's definitely true but one of the things that i was drawn towards dave last time is his compositions go beyond that like some of his compositions just remind me of VGM from a melody point. Like, this melody is really strong, and there's a lot to to kind of talk about and to appreciate on this track. Mm-hmm. You know, on top of all those other fun, smile-inducing elements that, that you were just talking about. And also, for me, like... 1980. I mean, this this is such a great era for production. Again, it's 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 really more 70s in how it feels. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of great stuff happening at this time. Yeah, I think that's true. Well, and again, it's like I'm not that that wasn't a criticism of the music that it it fits into no. some of those genres because that has more to do with the way music has been used culturally or in in our connotations to music. And part of the reason why we started this podcast is because. Frankly, that's what had happened with video game music. It's like mm-hmm. the cultural connotations of games were inextricably tied up with this music that had been written. And a lot of that cultural baggage, you know, was not very flattering because we think of sort of the the era where games were more or less toys for children and mm-hmm. you have all these flashy 80s cartoons and 90s advertising vehicles. And so it's not a super elegant artful space inherently but i think that's why we wanted to look at the music and i think you could say the same thing for a piece of music like this that this is a kind of you know if i were to put on this record and we just got an average group of like a hundred modern day people i think a majority of them would have kind of either critical or like laughing kind of things to say about this. And I think a lot of that is culturally coded. And and one of the reasons that I brought a track like this in is I want all of you to be able to appreciate it for what's here. And yeah, some of it might make you laugh a little bit, but it's just really outstanding music that deserves to be celebrated. Now, this totally. is fun. We're going to go from 1980 all the way to 2019. Another track that Will found. Uh, this is by an artist. Will, would you say Kuko? Kuko, yeah, he's one of my favorite young songwriters. Based in um, L.A., it sounds like? 
I, he's fantastic. Uh, yeah, he's, he's this Latin American, um, singer songwriter based out of LA. But what I love about his music is he combines aspects of Latin music, you know, American pop music, but like contemporary stuff. So there's aspects of like electronic trap music, hip hop, but also some of his stuff gets very kind of psychedelic and almost has like that lo-fi hip hop quality to it. Not to mention that I also really like about him though, is I think, you know, there's so much music being made now by artists where that has this sort of braggy energy in Kuko. He reminds me of Marty in the fact that like the character that he plays in all of his songs is always this sort of like sad little shy guy who doesn't get the girl. And there's something so charming about that will what's this what's this track called what did what what did you bring in from cuckoo today this is piel canela and some of you may recognize this even if you didn't recognize the name of the artist here we go Que se quede el infinito sin estrellas O que pierda el ancho mar su inmensidad Pero el negro de tus ojos que no muera Y el canela de tu piel se quede igual Si perdiera el arco iris su belleza Y las flores su perfume y su color No sería tan inmensa mi tristeza You guys listening to PL Canela from the same album um, in 2019, either a single or an album uh, by Kuko. And yeah, it's just absolutely delightful. Yes, it reminds us maybe of some some video game moments. This is another track that kind of speaks for itself. Like it's just so charming. I mean, what it's he so clearly communicates what he's trying to set out to do in his music, and right. yeah, it's just a really cool mix. I mean, both of those both of those things we are familiar with, and we've we've obviously a lot of us have heard a lot of American pop music and hip hop music. We've all heard Latin folk music, and to combine it together is like this is just really impressive. Yeah, and I think it's something that's what also reminded me of Marty of that trying to reconcile old and new and trying to bring everybody together and. Kind Kind of one thing i feel yeah. like he does that a lot in his music whether it's like writing chip tunes that sound like a pop song or writing modern pop songs that so sound like to me like will harmonically really old-fashioned or something this one kind of reminds me of something like um alto glide whereas like it's a lot more broad like there's not specific i mean this is from a broad point of view a fan of vgm is probably going to enjoy this yeah, and I think it's because it's melodically so strong and because yeah. it's eclectic and electronic and all of these variety of things. It's really catchy and simple. 
Um, and also this kind of like electronic Latin music is mm-hmm. a style that's associated with video games because of Kazumi Tataka's Wii music, honestly. It's like all of that Love music that. <laughs> was sort of in this style and that was so popular and that's become such a like internet meme reference type of thing that I do think that Kuko was definitely thinking like about game music it's when pretty he wrote clear this. because he's an artist who's had a lot of success like on tiktok and and on these like more tech platforms the last thing that i wanted to say and what excites me about kind of a younger generation of songwriters and stuff like this you know his production is not it's not super polished like there's a lot of rough around the edges things with it's the someone way the with a laptop in like a bedroom is what it sounds yeah like. but what's great about this is this song survives by the strength of the songwriting and it, it makes the music about the 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 important things it's the melody the lyrics the overall vibe of the song more so than all these little details and the performance which you can capture pretty easily you know you have an acoustic guitar you know how to sing i mean it doesn't really need to be in an expensive studio uh so we're gonna stay in 2019 for this next track in these next two tracks are my two possible choices for track of the week i'm gonna let will pick okay uh they're both absolutely amazing and i actually couldn't really pick so i'm i'm hoping you can help me out here will so we're staying in 2019 for this one and this artist is also returning from round one it is yuji ono and this is from lupin three the first again in 2019 let's take a listen to an outstanding piece of music that some of you might know it's samba temporado 2019 just phenomenal i mean it's it's a 10 out of 10 every single judge would hold up a 10 to this samba temperado 2019 by the legendary yuji ono and it was cool in the first round uh i played like a 70s uh track from a, a score he did and now we're playing a 2019 track this is a great japanese jazz composer that a lot of you know this is from lupin 3 the first will what do you think man well, yeah, I mean, Lupin the Third, which I think is the name of this series, is like a really popular thing in Japan, and yep. there's so much media attached to it. There's movies and, and TV the music shows is and video absolutely games. Absolutely phenomenal. It's all great. I've never heard a bad Lupin no, track. No, I haven't either. W- whether it's from a, D- a Japanese only DS game or a PS2 game or a 
TV show. I mean, or Ono film? Like, is they're all great. Kind of on his own level. Like there's there's not really anyone that can touch him. I mean, absolutely phenomenal composer. The performance, the arrangement is so amazing. Even the solos, like every single thing is firing on all cylinders on this track. And there's what, not anything well, that's lacking. The other thing that reminds me of uh, game composers is that it's like all of this talent, all of this imagination and skill and craft of, of this person is going into making something that is is such a gift. It's so generous. It's purely intended to give the listener joy. Like it's, it's music that's not meant to be erudite or sophisticated. It's not trying to challenge you or confuse you where some people might say that's a negative, but it's like, it's using that attention to detail, skill, craftsmanship to make something that's just joyful it's just fun it's absolutely it's joyful yeah and so <laughs> that this is a really great change of pace too because my two choices are very different and come from different periods we're now going to move on to the oldest track we have on the playlist and it's another artist that is returning from round one this is jean-jacques paris who again i have to give a shout out to my friend zach for introducing me to some of this artist's work it's from an album in 1968 called The Amazing New Electronic Pop Sound of Jean-Jacques Perry. Let's take a listen to a track that is ridiculously gamey and just ridiculously beautiful. This is In the Heart of a Rose. phenomenal you know it's pieces like this and discoveries like this that led us to do that first round and to do this again so exciting some of you i'm sure are just smiling and having your jaw dropped it's crazy how video gamey this sounds this is 19 freaking 68 folks the same year that the beatles recorded the white album this is by jean-jacques Perry. it's in the heart of a rose I don't even know where to begin with this. I mean, every single where you, every place you look is is incredibly video gamey. I mean, right. the composition. You have the Dorian mode. Will was saying it reminds him of, you know, Morricone music, which it absolutely does. But the combination of the synths and like these really early synths that were new sounds to people at this time yeah, that are utilizing- used very liberally here. 
Yeah, utilizing these sort of like wavetable synth sounds. Yeah. Um, and then as well as like, I'm hearing just a straight unfiltered triangle wave. Yeah. You know, in like it's hard panned in the right channel, but it's like, it just sounds like an NES triangle bass. And even that it's like even early synth stuff where it was more just these basic oscillator tones mm-hmm. tends to sound more complicated. Well, also than this. What's so crazy about this is the sounds that we're hearing are ridiculously reminiscent of video game music and the composition is just as much. And so that's what's so magical about a track like this where it really makes you pinch yourself. Like, what am I listening to? And yes, it's from 68. It was this right kind of aligning of all these different points in time because there's a lot of early synthesizer music. Not a lot of it sounds video gamey. And there's a lot of sort of instrumental film music that maybe evokes things harmonically and melodically that we would associate with video game music from the 60s. I mean, I think Morricone is someone who has had a huge impact on film and game composers, so that's sort of an obvious one. But it's like a composition like this being done on those early synths where they hadn't refined some of the capabilities to make more complex timbres and it's in particular you know this heroic piece in the dorian mode that has a simple scalar repeated melody melody oh man (laughs) it sounds it's so crazy okay well so you have the really hard task right now of picking between those two what are you going to go for for track of the week oh it's not a hard task for me and it's going to be in the heart of a rose and i think it's because You know, the Sambo Temperado 2019, that's just an example of a great, you know, Japanese anime film composer just doing his thing. Yep. Um, But something like this, I imagine very few people are familiar with. It's so true. And it really does speak to the heart of what this episode is about. Love it. Well, there you go, folks. This week's track of the week. Oh, man. Yourself because really, I can't believe it's not holes. VGM. I can't believe That's... it's not VGM. All right, this next track is going to blow you guys away based on the sounds. It's not VGM either. This is library music from the 80s. Uh, this is music that was released in 1987 from an album called Flash Graphics Entertainment 5. But it's oh not God. video game music. It's not. That it's sounds music. like some obscure system around the it's, time of like the It sounds like like, like a Tim Odyssey. and Eric sketch is what it sounds like. It's it's library music that was used for God knows what in the 80s. This is by Jeffrey Basto. We're going to play Sight and Sound.
You guys are listening to the incredibly cheesy, hilarious, and delightful Sight and Sound by Jeffrey Basto, who I think was an English um, composer. <laughs> this is from Flash Graphics Entertainment 5, which came out in 1987. I wasn't expecting to hear some sax in there, but that was a real welcome addition. These sounds. Let's start, Will. Let's talk about these sounds. Like, What is your impression? What, what are we hearing here? Man, we are hearing an incredible use of uh, early samplers yep. um, in a very textbook kind of 80s pop style. Um, and then we're also hearing some great gamey FM synth. And then we're also hearing a melody that has such a gamey and Japanese kind of character, particularly lines like ya da da da. That sax melody so good. Yeah, this track, yeah. like, it first made me laugh, and those stops and starts were so hilarious. But when that groove comes in, particularly the sax melody comes in, I'm just on board for this. I unironically love this track. Oh, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I think there has to be some amount of irony in the just you're aware of how one has to be aware of how cheesy this is. But yeah, at the same time, it is unironically a great composition and a really strong melody. And it's uh, it's cool, too, like especially in the context of, you know, we're all so inundated with music that all sounds similar and in kind of a, a, a we hear a lot of samey stuff and this is something right. that you know maybe there was a point in time in which this was samey but this doesn't sound like anything i encounter in my day-to-day life no other than game music or other than you know a 15 second snippet in like a parody exercise video on a <laughs> you, you you know what i'm saying like yeah. you never actually hear music like this i know in earnest you, you guys know why i was so excited <laughs> to write this one down when i stumbled upon this it was so many oh man everyone i mean so many youtube rabbit holes <laughs> just like the first round uh that led me to that okay what a fun one let's move on will you're gonna just love this so much i think it's gonna make your heart smile does everyone like disco music? <laughs> I hope so. We're going to play, I'm pretty sure, another example of library music or music that was probably used for a bunch of different movies or shows. Who knows what this was used for? The artist is Orchestra 88, very generic, and the album and the song is Manhattan Skyline, and this is from 1978. Enjoy. Thank you. 
I wish that I could have grown up in this time. <laughs> you guys are listening to Manhattan Skyline by Orchestra 88, released in 1978. What a magical, innocent time in some ways. I mean, oh, this kind of music. I mean, we go back to this kind of music so much now, and I think that it was really um, a mistake that there was this narrative for at least 10 years, if not more, that disco is so awful. Because uh, I don't think most people feel that way in 2021. I mean, this is the happiest thing I've ever heard. I mean, this just made me smile so much. Really cool production stuff, really wild stuff going on. Wonderful, I mean, I think anything ensemble. that... Anything that is um, exuberant and seemingly done in a confident way without a lot of self-consciousness is very easily mockable. And it's easy to kind of, you know, especially disco was such a popular trend. It represented sort of a short-sighted living in the now modern american trend um well i mean there's there's elements of this track react against that i mean this track is textbook it's textbook disco i mean there's elements that even if you're trying to not talk about the cheesy tropes you literally can't i mean starting with that synth line literally later on in the track i don't know if you guys heard but there's like harmonized backing vocals that literally just say fever fever i mean come on like what is that like is there a contract that you have to have those vocals in this Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, but I just absolutely oh, love it. It's so delightful, though. Yeah, I it's mean, the it's, best. it's wonderful. I mean, it's, yeah, this is also just music that speaks for itself. And it just, this is a, a, a lone person in the middle of a dance floor dancing by themselves and not caring yep. that nobody else is there. It's so, oh man, especially I think in the context now, people go back to this because it's like people had such low expectations of disco. It was like the lamest thing ever. So no one was occupying that space. And if you could show that, oh no, that's actually cool. It, things can totally flip around in that way. And I kind of don't think it's ever going to go back to being perceived the way it was. It'll be interesting. I think once you recall something, once you like do a blast from the past, you kind of are making a comment on that era. And now it's sort of like for the rest of time, we can kind of, not that we will, but we can adopt that uh, perspective on the era. So I kind of think like, I don't know, has people's perspectives on the music of the 60s changed in the last 10 to 20 years since that has been kind of sent up many times i don't really think so i mean and but there's, there's definitely the perception of, of the 70s and 80s has changed well, there's but a lot I don't of lovely ways that disco music lives on one of which is that it's sampled in so many great hip-hop tracks you know i mean it's that's just one of the many ways that the music lives on so will uh talk a little bit about this you brought in a track by composer kenichiro suehiro what did you bring in uh this is from um, a show called ReZero. Uh, and this is a very famous theme for people who um, are familiar with that show. Uh, this is called the Elegy for Rem. It's one of the 
it's one of the most gorgeous melodies I've ever heard. I mean, this is just textbook Japanese orchestral writing. This is, as the title suggests, an, it's a beautiful piece. An elegy. It's it's sad. It's it's mournful. It's regretful. But it reaches these romantic, emotional climaxes that honestly exceed, <laughs> um, like any European romantic music for me. It's like. I just this the the kind of quality that this piece of music has I've I've never heard from yeah. composers outside of Japan. Well, let's let's listen to this. This is Elegy for Rem composed by Kinichiro Suehiro. incredibly beautiful this is elegy for rem composed by suehiro from re-zero starting life in another world this music came out in 2016 i love that we're hopping from so many different decades this is beautiful music that i think most people would just enjoy period uh what's especially cool is that it really reminds us of moments we've experienced in games and probably because those moments were scored by wonderful orchestral japanese composers uh, that have a similar level of talent to Suehiro. Yeah, I've been really trying to, because I, I always feel a little guilty when we just talk about like, oh, this sounds Japanese and don't give context to it because I don't mm. want to be making kind of like some generalization statement that sounds um, anti-intellectual. But the thing that's difficult about music is music is so abstract. You can well, break it's emotional it down too. In, like it in hits detailed you. ways. Yeah, but sometimes it's like, it affects us emotionally in a subtle way that we don't quite, we haven't gained the insight intellectually to be able to explain why we're making those connections. And so I, I think that it's really hard to articulate what about this sounds Japanese, because if you break down the theory of it, you'll notice a lot of things that are done by plenty of composers around the world. It's right. not like there's something super prototypical. It, it really has to do with the specific combination of all the elements, the order in which they happen. Uh, it, it really, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, what makes this sound Japanese? Absolutely every single thing about this piece of music. And it's just and kind the of best. nothing else. <laughs> well, this is cool. We're going to move to uh, maybe the most obscure artist of the day. It's an artist called Manzel. And it was apparently a group of three guys that were friends that got together in the 70s 
and just recorded some tracks and that's it. And their music has lived on because some of those tracks have actually been sampled years later. Who knows, you know, who found those old records, but some of their grooves were sampled by hip hop artists. This is a tune called Space Funk by Manzel. And it was recorded and released in 1976. Apparently, it was just a studio session that they booked and just laid down a few tracks. Just the best. Let's take a listen to Space Funk. guys are listening to the amazing track space funk by manzel this is music that deserves to be heard by a lot more people than it did in its day uh the intro you know it starts off with this background this reverse effect the drums come in the reason they did that is because i don't know if you guys heard but there's this really prominent bleed that to me sounds like that day they were laying down this stuff in the studio, one of the other rooms was probably recording some loud organ music or something, and it just came across. Um, but yeah, so Manzel is just a rhythm section. I think it's just keys, guitar, and drums. So everything else you're hearing uh, is probably needle drops or samples or something, uh, you know, records, public domain records of the day, uh, putting it all together. But what a funky track. Yeah, that is crazy. I wonder, I have no idea how, um, you know, public domain, free to license musical material was utilized back in the day. Like, I just have no idea about that yeah, whole me world, how that stuff was done. I have no idea how many songs that are famous um, involve that kind well, of process. Well, there's one cool story. Uh, Will, d- did you know this, but... What would you say is the most recognizable, timeless, famous uh, drum sound or drum beat of a disco tune, if you had to pick one? The uh, Amen Break? Not, no, that that's not about? disco. That's not disco, though. When oh, it comes disco. to disco, Sorry. you would say that in the top five, it's probably going to be Staying Alive, right? 
Oh yeah. I mean, that's I think Staying Alive as a song. That's a loop. There was no drummer when they were in the studio working on that song. They had no drummer book. They had no drum kit set up. They found a loop and and they literally that song uses two measures. It's two measures um, of a drum loop and they built the song around it. And I, there was something, some silly crediting when the song came out where they made up a name, uh, you know, like AB man or something. And after that, all these people were asking, who is, can we get that AB man? Can we get that drummer on a session? And, and no one actually knows who it was. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I have no knowledge about how that stuff was done before kind of, um, I think like we think I think a lot of us think about hip hop as kind of the birth of all of that sampling and incorporating older stuff but um clearly it it's it happened for the entire history of recorded music um but I have no idea just logistically how you'd go about getting those materials you know now there's an you can go online and maybe look up a music library and probably create an account and pay for license but i have no idea how you would have done something like that maybe you would have had to purchase a record or purchase some sort of i don't i have i literally have no idea how they actually went about Hmm. doing that stuff yeah, cool it looks like I, I was just looking up that uh, staying alive. They called the drummer Bernard Loop, <laughs> L-U-P-E. And so, yeah, apparently a lot of people after that were asking for that drummer. But yeah, what a cool track, cool find there. Hopefully, Will, you're enjoying the funk today. Definitely. Let's move on. Uh, this is, Will, you're going to get a kick out of this. It's incredibly gamey, very cheesy. This is an artist... Um, by the name of Elaine Musicini. Uh, this is a male artist, uh, actually. Uh, this is from 1984. It's a it's a tune called Thalassa, and uh, this artist is an accordion player and composer. So let's take a listen to an 80s rock slash accordion track that is very video gamey. You guys are listening to maybe the cheesiest track of the day. It's it's tough competition here. This is Thalassa by Elaine Musicini, who is an accordion artist. This is from 1984. Um, you guys see why I included this, right? I mean, it, it makes sense. It's it kind of speaks for itself. It's it's goofy music, but it's it's good music. I I actually really like the melody. It's it's a fun one. 
I was saying to Carl uh, when we were listening to this that I really want to see a scene in a movie in some sort of small town bar and there's a lone accordion player playing (laughs) this song but like to a pre-record because there's something just so adorable about starting with this like yeah, you know, very '80s rock pop. And you have groove. no idea the accordion's coming in. <laughs> <laughs> then having the accordion coming in—it's not just the timbre. Even immediately, the melodic it just sounds like French and kind yes. of folky I, and he jazzy might be out French. of nowhere. I, so I it just, don't know enough about what Sardis. it sounds like. Is it sounds like a generic backing track? that an accordion player composed a melody on top of. Right. Because they're so different and they're so disjointed. <laughs> but there's something about that eclecticism that it's is charming. also very gamey. Yeah. So so guys, we're ending the episode with two vocal tracks, two band tracks, uh, that both of which Will brought in. We're starting off with something that rocks really hard. If you guys didn't rock hard enough from Kansas, let's see if you can rock extra hard from Dream Theater one of the most popular and beloved prog bands of all time. Uh, this is from their album Octave, Octa, Octavarium <laughs> from 2005. Let's take a listen to Panic Attack. <laughs> feels like I'm fighting a final boss here. This is Panic Attack by Dream Theater, uh, a band that a lot of you probably know and love. This is from their album Octavarium, which came out in 2005. So glad Will brought this in. It has a lot of things that we can point to uh, that remind us of VGM, but at the end of the day, it's just a really cool rocking prog track. Those harmonies are great, and some of those harmonies actually remind me a little bit of System of a Down. Uh, a band that I know for having really beautiful harmonies as well in a similar style. Yeah, I think what makes this gamey as opposed to something like System of a Down, uh, Mm. in addition to the virtuosity of the lines, 
Um, some of those, like the when the Complexity. strings come in with the uh, the diminished arpeggios. so bossy. That was so gamey. It was out of Castlevania in the very beginning of this with that bass solo. The the specific intervals and notes in that reminded me of like Mega Man, and also the simplicity of that. Just this kind of like using a basically a monophonic instrument to do this really complex line just reminded me of the spirit of like 8-bit writing. And so this is yeah. a track that just immediately, like the first time I heard it, I thought game. Well, right I'm glad away. you brought it in too because it was a real nice <laughs> change of pace. I mean, it rocks harder than anything else uh, we, we did. And it's just kind of fun to, to do straight up prog rock, modern prog rock that's great so well, it's also yeah it's like prog metal too i mean yeah the yeah double i would kick say for sure and the kind of the virtuosity so of the guitars we're playing out with a track will brought in from a band uh called mild high club and this is skip tracing and it came out in 2016 why don't you uh tell uh listeners a little bit about what they'll hear in the play out will yeah, this is great. I mean, I think this will also give people Kazumi Tataka Wii Channel music vibes because it's sort yep. of vaguely Latin and, and jazzy, but like the electronic version. But uh, this is a track that's also, uh, I think it has a beautiful melody and it's very sort of psychedelic in terms yes. of the production yep. and the vibe of it. And I don't know why, but there's something between the mix of like quasi-Latin um, or jazz mixed with electronic, mixed with psychedelic, that just sounds kind of gamey to me. And it was, I was yeah. saying the same thing about that Kuko track, but I have to imagine that, you know, these are examples of pieces of music that are m- relatively current. So, I mean, it's possible Kazumi Tataka or like that kind of, you know, electronic game music was an influence on the songwriters. It's cool to, to ponder that. So guys, enjoy this mild high club track. We hope you had a good time with another round of non-VGM music. We had a blast finding this music and sharing it. This is episode 498. Next week is original showcase for episode 499. It's crazy how close we're getting to a really exciting milestone. We wanted to give uh, another plug to VGMCon, which is happening uh, the weekend of April 1st through the 3rd. Uh, We just got confirmation from the VGMCon folks that both of our events are going to be happening on Friday, April 1st the celebration party, as well as the band performance. And we promise it's not an April Fool's joke. No, this is for real. It's a, it's a fitting day for us <laughs> with the history of the bad music episodes. Uh, maybe we'll have to play a bad track on stage that night. But yeah, we already have some people that have RSVP'd, which you can find that page on our website on the bottom footer menu. You can find more info as well. Uh, we also have a raffle that we'll be announcing that fairly soon a couple winners to help offset some of the costs so if you're interested this is the perfect year to come to VGMCon and celebrate with us i think that's about it and since both of our uh since both of our events are on friday that means that you might want to make sure you know your your travel plans include getting there um with more than enough time and if uh, either thursday night or friday morning yeah if people plan on coming in kind of the night before 
Um, I think it would be fun to do some sort of like breakfast or some, some kind of activity in cool the morning idea. for uh, people who are in town already. I think that would be sort of a fun thing, but we can talk about that more as we get closer. Um, yeah, I know I'm just so excited for VGM con this year. Me too. I feel like we have something else to plug, but now I can't, now I can't think of it. Oh, <laughs> just with kind of the, um, with episode 500 coming up being such a big deal, I also just want to give people enough of an advance warning that things are going to change after 500. And we're really yep. excited about those changes. Um, but one of the big things that's going to happen um, that we haven't talked about too much, but I want to give people heads up is we're going to be taking a, a bit of a break after yes. episode 500. So. I feel like we've earned it, right? Right, everybody? <laughs> so yeah, there's going to be a little bit of a break. We've done um, this podcast pretty much on the next era starts for like 10 years. Um, other than crazy. like occasionally we'll take one week off, but then put up like a Mercado radio or something. Yeah. There's been, there's been content of some kind up ever since like, I don't know, episode 26 or something insane like that. Something. Yeah. 2012. So, so yes. Um, for sure. uh, but yeah, we'll talk more about that. We'll be joining you guys next week for OG showcase. I think that's it. My name is Carl Brueggemann and I'm Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out.